0: time for that band this morning, Need to Breathe, a great song, and that is what we are talking about today. Actually, for the first time that I've ever got to do this, Justin said, there's not really a series, it's whatever you want to talk about, and Mallory, my wife, when I told her, I was like, that would be terrifying to me, but I was so excited and had been praying and thinking about what we need to talk about today. You're here, you made it to church, some of you, you got an extra hour of sleep, you're feeling good. It is a great week to be here, and I'm glad you're here, but I just got off the top, get this out of my system. How about those Texas Rangers? Nobody else might care, but I'm up here today. Long time fan. World Series is unreal this week. And actually, this is what I was talking to Robin in our office about. And I said that. I was like, it is unreal to think that this team that I have followed for almost all of my life is really going to do it. They've really made the World Series, celebrating there. This is me, six years old. My mom dug into the scrapbooks. Thank you, mom. And finally there, look at that kid. He didn't know 25 years of disappointment were ahead until we finally got here 2023 right here the old stadium my sixth birthday party that would be 1993 gosh i guess that's 30 years ago now it's crazy A long time, been there trying to look. My wife, Mallory, and I started dating in 2008, and I said, hey, you want to go to a baseball game? She's like, I've never really been to a major league game. So we went, got to go together. Our whole life together has been a part, the Rangers going to games, and then my kids now, I try to bribe them and let them stay up late to watch baseball to become fans, pro tip for all of you parents out there, and go to do that. Willa, our youngest, went to her first game in September, and they won a World Series. So Willa's going every year, one for one. It's been a great week in our house, but... It's been crazy, and to top it all off, Mallory, my incredible wife, when we found out they were having a parade said, you want to go? I was like, yeah, I want to go. <laughs> Told the kids, we're playing hooky, get in the car, we drove to Dallas and made it to the World Series parade. 300,000 fans were expected, 700,000 people showed up on Friday, and we were in the middle of it. Here's a Smanko family loving it, watch. loving every minute of it. Some of you, you don't care a thing about baseball. We're going to move on. But some of you remember this moment. I was in Simple Church 2010 at a party watching this guy. Nobody? Wow. No Saints fans in there. Okay, yeah. First hour was excited. I don't care. I'm a Cowboys fan. Y'all do whatever you want. But for those Saints fans waiting that long, that was a big moment for them. And I have had an unreal week. It's hard to believe. I actually pulled the definition of unreal because when Robin and me were talking about this, like, what does that word really even mean? We use it sometimes. It might not be a part of your vocabulary, but it's something so strange as to appear imaginary, not seeming real. I was like, you know, that really does apply to the world we live in today. Unreal can go be good or bad, right? It can be unreal when you finally get that promotion. You've been working hard, you've been putting your nose to the grindstone, trying, going, and you finally, that boss calls you in the office and says, you got it, you're moving up, you're going to the next thing. It's like, wow, this is unreal, I cannot believe it, you celebrate. Or maybe it's online dating. My sister got married last year, and she's in her 30s, and she was terrified of online dating and had a lot of bad experiences. Anybody relate to that? Right, and you finally find somebody that's not a serial killer, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Some of you, you might be sitting next to somebody you married because you met them online. Somebody cheered the first hour back there. I don't know who it was. It's unreal when you finally find somebody. You go on a blind date. You get set up. It's like, wow, you're floating on clouds. It's unreal that there's really a good person out there left. Maybe it's your kids now. You're a little bit older. You're in that phase where your kids, it's unreal when they make the team. They try out. They've worked hard. You've seen their blood, sweat, and tears. The Olympics are next year, and I always love seeing when the parents talk about what it took to get to that level. It's unreal that their kids could do these things. Get into the college of their dreams, whatever it is for you, there are moments you've probably had in life where things have seemed unreal in a good way, and then unreal in a bad way. It was an unreal week, as we did a funeral for a family in the church this week of a teenager. It's unreal when you get the news and the community is shocked. In your life, it's unreal when you get the conversation with your spouses that says they want a divorce. You get the diagnosis. The doctor tells you, and your ears start ringing, you can't believe this is really happening to me. Unreal. It's an unreal world we live in, and that's our personal lives. Then you go to the global scale, and it's unreal that war is in the Middle East. And some of you that follow the news closely, and you're watching these things, and you're posting about and you're amped up about what's going to happen and what it could escalate. We have friends in the Air Force who are deployed right now overseas, and we're worried Is this unreal that we might actually have this war break out into a bigger conflict. Remember COVID, right? Whatever you think about COVID, it was unreal what happened the last few years in this country, what happened in our lives, what happened with your family. And now there's stuff like this. Don't know what it is. It might be COVID, might be RSV, might be a flu, might be a cold. Here's how to figure this out. A couple years ago, we would have never believed that this would be something people are talking about. I got strep a couple weeks ago. That was unreal. It was a minor inconvenience, but it sure is not fun. I do not recommend it. Unreal when these things happen to us. And then I'm very interested in technology. It's just kind of my bent. It's the things I like, and I follow stuff like deepfakes. Who knows what a deepfake is in the room? Nine o'clock, I had no clue. Two of you. Good, all right. There's more already, but you're about to all learn. They used to say seeing is believing. It is unreal now what they're able to do that might make you question the next thing you watch. Check out this video.
1: I wanna show you two video clips. One of them is real and one of them is fake. Can you tell which one's real? Okay, this one was kind of easy. Obviously this is the fake one. Like you can see the color on the face isn't quite right and hair is obviously like a wig. But this video was like from a few years ago. Let's look at a more recent example. Look at these two clips. One of them is real and one of them is fake. Can you tell which one it is? Okay, what about these? Or these. Which one of these is fake and which one of these is real? Maybe you're some wizard and you could tell, but I couldn't. And my guess is that most people can't. That's because things have changed.
0: I've never seen it quite like this. This technology
2: is spreading rapidly. It's really mind-blowing. Deep fakes. Deep fakes. Deep. real.
1: In the last few years, we've crossed a threshold into a world where moving images are manipulated in ways that make them indistinguishable from reality. This is our new world. It is the world of high quality deepfakes. The catastrophic potential to public trust and to markets that could come from deepfake attacks. This is happening quicker than any of us could have imagined. So I want to get you up to speed on what's happening with deepfakes, how they're revolutionizing entertainment. And creating new challenges and fears for the people who make our laws and the people who enforce those laws. Make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time. Ultimately, I want to show you how much of a threat deepfakes actually pose and answer the biggest question of all, what is even real? Seeing is not believing anymore.
0: Anybody terrified now, right? Yeah? Go look it up if you want to get into a rabbit hole. It is unbelievable, it is unreal what technology is doing. So I pulled it, we're gonna play a game, we're gonna play along. Y'all feel up for a game, you think you can do it? All right, okay, I got an extra hour of sleep guys. Let's wake up 11 o'clock here, let's go. Here we go, real or fake? Very simple, is this a real, actual news headline of something that's happening in the world, or is this fake and I made it up or found it as a joke on the internet? Got it? Simple rules, play along online, let us know in the comments. Number one, Neuralink, Elon Musk's brain implant startup, how about that for a sentence, is set to begin human trials. Real or fake? Real. 100% real. This is a device they will implant in your brain that would allow you to control technology like you can just think and move your TV and change the channel and control your phone if that's really that inconvenient for you. I would recommend that you do not go first in the implant trial. Anybody okay with that, yeah? Nobody in here signing up? Good, please don't. Crazy, this is really happening. This is not science fiction, this is real. How about this one? Human brain cells In a Petri dish, learn how to play the game Pong. Outside of a body, just human brain cells. Can they play Pong, real or fake? You think fake, but that is 100% real as well. They trained brain cells to learn the rules and with electrodes connected this brain tissue, and it is thinking and playing and moving the controller. It is called uh, Dish Brain, I believe. Look it up. Unbelievable, unreal, this is happening in science. How about this one, human batteries, your bodies can produce more bioelectricity than a 120 volt battery. That one's fake, thankfully, right now. You're not getting plugged into a battery yet, that's the Matrix, anybody seen the Matrix? Okay, yeah, just throw it in there. I wanna make sure you know, there is some stuff that's still a little far-fetched, but not a lot. I'm a science fiction fan and stuff we watched 10, 20, 30 years ago in movies is becoming more and more a reality. And so I know what some of you are thinking, depending on your age, depending on your stage of life, you're thinking, well, I know what's real. I've got my firm foundation. I know what I'm built on. I've got it. But I want you to think for a minute for this upcoming generation, the teenagers growing up swimming in this world of fake videos, fake news. I just read an article this week was looking where I believe a Russian operative created a fake BBC set, created a fake news video that looked exactly like a real news video and then reposted and shared it was seen over a million times of disinformation that's intentionally trying to cause chaos and confusion. You might know, you might not trust things, but people a little younger than you might. And it is complicated, and it's weird, and it's hard to believe it is real. And if some of you are honest, you found this video online, you're here today, you got up and came to church for the first time in a while because maybe God doesn't seem real. Maybe you're looking for something real, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because your pain feels very real. You and hurt and gone through difficult things, and we serve a God that cares about your pain and cares about you. The book of Matthew, directly from Jesus. This is one of Justin's favorite verses. This is what Civil Church was founded on. He went on from there and saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors, the worst of the worst. These were traitors to the Jewish people that were stealing money from them to help the conquering Romans, the people that they were trying to overthrow, and worked with the enemy. No one wanted tax collectors around. So what does Jesus do? Follow me. (laughs) Go back one slide. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Then, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, unbelievably scandalous that Jesus would even step foot in his house, let alone have dinner and accept and embrace this wicked, evil tax collector. Many other tax collectors and sinners came. Who is a tax collector going to be friends with? Other tax collectors. Nobody else wants to be their friend. They ate with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, the church people, the godly people, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting the Old Testament that most of them would have had memorized, the entire Old Testament as a Pharisee. They knew exactly what he was saying. And he twists that knife a little bit and reminds them, it's not about being a good person. It's not about church. It's not about showing up. It's not about giving money. He's there because he cares about people. Jesus cares about the tax collector, the worst notorious sinner, as much as he cares about the righteous. And if you're here today, sometimes when someone comes in church, a volunteer or somebody in the lobby will be like, did you see so-and-so? Did you know they're here? Oh my gosh, did you see what they did? Did you see what they posted on Facebook yesterday? Do you know where they were? And we don't care. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. And we want Simple Church to be a place that you can come when you're not okay, because it's okay to not be okay, it's okay to come to church when things are not good, we just don't want you to stay there. So I believe with my whole heart, I believe I've given my life to this, that there is more to this world than the reality that we live in, because there's some dark days, there's some heavy stuff that we walk through, and some of you have had way more than your fair share. Your pain is what feels so real. It's overwhelming. You don't know if there's even a God that cares. Is this really all there is? It's maybe a question you've asked. Is this reality? Is this all life is? And thankfully, we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, had an answer for this a thousand years ago, thousands of years ago, and it still applies today. And he used these stories called parables. If you missed last week's message, if you're not sure what it means to follow Christ, you're not on the fence, it's been a while, please go back and watch Justin's message last week. Go to our YouTube channel, subscribe. You can get all of the messages on demand. But last week's, Justin, walk through what heaven is really going to be like and how you can get there. If you've never made that step, it is the most important decision you will ever make. But today I want to talk to the rest of us. If you're here, you're a Christian, you know you've made that decision, you follow God with your life, You might have asked a question like this guy, Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Never a good idea, by the way. Jesus, teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a good question. The guy wants to live forever. He wants to be with God. He's trying to do the right thing. On what is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your strength, and all your might. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. You've probably heard this before. You might have heard this phrase, this saying. might be familiar. We're going to talk about it some more in a minute. But he gets the right answer. (laughs) But Jesus knows his heart. Jesus knows where he's coming from and what is really on the inside. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who do you think of? Jesus uses a story, a parable to teach us these things. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is not our part of the world. Most of you, you probably have never been on that road. Maybe you have. I have not. Israel's in the news a lot. You're in this part of the world. And when I was looking and reading, and get ready for this, I'd never realized, and some of you, probably smarter than me, did that Jerusalem, where they're coming from, was actually way high. It's a rocky, hilly, mountainous area, 2,500 feet above sea level. Then the Jericho Road was a very well-known road. Remember back then, there's not paved roads. There's not concrete. You can't go and make it easy travel. It was literally carved in mountains over thousands of years that they had made this road that was very popular, business, travel. People would get from one place to the other. It was hard traveling in the mountains around it. So Jericho Road was really the only way to go back and forth to this other major city. Jericho, same one where the walls came crumbling down, right? We've heard that story. It's at 850 feet. So you're literally descending thousands of feet walking this dangerous, treacherous road carved in mountains, and it was known to have robbers. And thieves and people that would hide in cliffs and hit mountains and caves and attack people. It was very dangerous. Most people went in groups. You would have to travel together to try to make it. Everyone reading this story, everybody listening to Jesus would know that in this culture. Now picture in your mind as we go through this story that you've probably heard before. Imagine what they would react to when Jesus says this. A man going from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. Everybody's like, that tracks. That makes sense, right? Right? You don't go in that part of town by yourself. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, and everybody perks up. Jesus has been really hard on the Pharisees. He's kind of dogs on them. These are the religious people of the church. He's like, Jesus is going to make them the hero of the story for once. He's really going to go and compliment. A priest is there. He's got to stop and help this guy, right? They're the church people. They're the good people. When he saw the man... The priest passed by the other side. Literally, when I saw pictures of this road and they talked about it in the commentary I was reading, it is so narrow at points that he might have actually had to step over the dying, bleeding man to get around him. The church person. the Good person following God's own heart. The person that everybody would have looked at and thought this would be something that saved. It was actually a ritual that if you touched a dead body in that culture, the rules, the laws of Judaism... That it was seven days for a priest to get clean and be able to go back to his job. And so the implication here is that he can't be bothered. It's not worth his time. The man might be dead anyway. If he, even if I did help him, he's probably going to die. It'd be a hassle. i got to go back to work. i got stuff to do. I can't pay my family. I'm just, I don't have time for this. And he walks by. So next, a Levite. A Levite would have been somebody that worked in the temple. It wasn't a priest who's the top of the top, the closest to God in their culture. A Levite was one step down that worked in the church, was on staff, was there, was a well-known Christian in their community. The Levite came to the same place and saw him, passed by the other side. So now everybody's on the edge of their seat. They're listening to Jesus like, where is he going with this? Who's gonna help this man? And he drops a bomb, <laughs> a Samaritan. <gasps> the crowd would have gone quiet. Did Jesus just say a Samaritan? Did he really say that? Like, we miss it. We hear good Samaritan laws. You've heard this story. You grew up in church. We downplay how shocking this would have been to this culture, the people he's talking to. Because Samaritans, they were the enemy. They were the half-breeds. They were the people that sold out and married other religions and left the faith and weren't doing the right things, the churchy things. They weren't even allowed to come to temple to be with Jews. Jews would go out of their way to avoid even looking or talking to a Samaritan. And Jesus makes him the hero of the story. A Samaritan came where the man was. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. I didn't know this either, but at the time, they didn't have medicine, they didn't understand germs, but they knew that wine actually would help sterilize wounds and olive oil would help heal skin. So most people traveled with their first aid kit of wine and oil. It would have been his personal stuff to try to take care of him and any of his friends, his family, and went above and beyond to treat this stranger, probably a Jew, who hated him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, which meant he was walking for miles, carrying this guy, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii was about a day's wages, so in today's money, I looked it up, it's about $450 dollars is probably the closest equivalent that we have. Not just like, here's $5 out the window. Hope you get feel better, bud. A substantial amount of his personal wealth to help the stranger. Gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that he may have. He didn't know this guy from Adam. And Jesus flips this crowd. And comes back to the religious expert and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. (laughs) It would be so ingrained in their culture to even say that a Samaritan was the one that did the right thing and a Jewish priest, the godly people did not. It would have been offensive. It would have been just... He couldn't get it out of his mouth. And Jesus tells this Jewish expert, this religious, godly person, to go and do likewise as a Samaritan. Jesus drops the mic. All his disciples go, oh, he just did that. We don't get We miss, and his story becomes like a little kid's story, but it is unbelievably scandalous that God in human flesh would tell the people who want to follow him that they have to love the people they hate, their enemies, the people they look down on that are less than. That is who Jesus wants us to be. Everybody's mind is blown. They're all talking about it. It's the whole talk of the rest of the week. Like, you remember when Jesus told that story as a Samaritan? I cannot believe it. And I was looking and reading this. A commentary, experts talk about the Bible. found this on bible.org. It is not the person from the radically different culture on the other side of the world that's the hardest to love. I've got to go on mission trips, Simple Church, it's a value to us that we travel to other countries, see what's going on in the world, other believers, that it's so much bigger than just our little world that we make for ourselves. Africa, Mexico, Honduras, wherever it is, we have watchers in Honduras every week that are our friends that are doing incredible work serving their communities. Those people sometimes are easier to love. It's the nearby neighbor whose skin color, language, rituals, values, ancestry, history, and customs are different from one's own. Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. I know what all of you are thinking because it's the same thing I think. I would have stopped and helped them. I would have been the hero of the story. But you might not have issues with Samaritans. Who do you avoid, ignore not have any dealings with see last week Justin talked about what it's like to bring heaven to earth, the dream is that we're here as Christians, believers, you're left here on earth to make earth more like heaven it is unreal we can't wrap our heads around what that will be like and our calling, our job, the reason you're here is to be unreal in a good way to the people around you two things today that I think we can be better at, and I'm looking first at myself. How we give can be an unreal way to show people that God loves them. I read a book when I was in college called UnChristian. A guy named David Kinnaman wrote this and did a massive research project, the biggest research at the time of millennials, my generation who are in our 30s and 40s now. This was about 10 years ago, so when this new generation of young Christians or young people were coming up, they asked them about Christians. Tens of thousands of people surveyed, and I want you to just think in your head for a minute. What were the top three words that my generation, the younger generation, thought of Christians in America? Three words. Think in your head. What are the description words? What are the ones you hear? Depending on your bubble, your circle, where you work and be around, you might be all around Christians. You might not be around a lot of people who your work you think are Christians. Three words in your head. You got it? Survey says, hypocrites, insensitive, and judgmental. Whether you feel like that's fair or not, whether you like it or not, that's just the facts. And Christians get up on TV and national news and all these different things for different reasons, and it's a cynical, skeptical culture. And this was my generation. Now, Gen Z behind us, it's even worse. It's going the other direction. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus said we should be known by. John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, my followers. And Andy Stanley's a pastor I really like that said it this way. Once upon a time, the love one another culture of the church stood in sharp contrast to the bite and devour one another culture of the pagan world. And that time it was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire conquered Israel. They were the enemy, they were the outsiders. They thought that Jesus was gonna rise up and lead a revolution and get rid of all the Romans. With the sword with violence we're going to fight back and really stand up for our rights and what we believe in and jesus told them to serve them (laughs) jesus told them to carry their bag the extra mile to turn the other cheek and you know what christians did for hundreds of years in the roman empire they built hospitals they adopted orphans and slowly but surely after being persecuted after hurting the other cheek over and over again they changed the course of human history when the Roman Empire switched to Christianity. And it wasn't the bite and devour, violence, fighting, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was love one another. That verse that you heard earlier, when Jesus quotes it, when the the expert of the law quotes it's called the Shema. It's this ancient Old Testament Jewish prayer. They actually still in Jewish culture will pray it daily, if not more than one time a day. You've probably heard it before. Matthew, Jesus quotes it again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything. When they asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? He summed it up in a couple sentences. We made it even shorter. If you've been around Simple Church, this is who we want to be. It is based on the Bible, on ancient Jewish wisdom on God's own words. We want to love God and love people. And we added solving problems because we believe that is the best way to show someone that you love them is try to make the world a better place. There's a guy named Bobby Stevenson. We did a series on him a couple years ago. a friend of Justin's who's actually my small group leader, a mentor, one of the most important people in my life. And when I was in a high school small group, he said, we're going to do a book club. And all the high school guys are like, say what? <laughs> Excuse me? We're reading a book for fun? No thanks, I'm out. But we did. We loved Bobby, and he challenged us to do something we hadn't done. And it was this book called Tuesdays with Maury. Got named Mitch album as a writer. And it was a true story of a college professor who was dying of ALS. Maury was the professor's name, and uh, the author, Mitch, would go and meet with him every Tuesday. And it radically transformed his life. So he wrote a book about it. It became a huge bestseller, tens of millions of copies, incredible book. And to sum it all up in one sentence, here's Mitch talk with somebody you might recognize that was moved by the book. Watch. I think of all the lessons that he shared with you, I read where giving his
3: living was one of the ones that impacted you the most. It is, it was, it is. I still remember exactly why he told me that because I used to watch other people go in to visit Maury and they would frequently have like a plan like they're, I'm going to tell him funny stories. I'm going to show him pictures. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to talk about his death. Not going to talk about illness. I mean, and they'd go in. The door would close. They'd come out an hour later in tears. Uh-huh. But they'd be crying about their divorce, their love life, their job, whatever. And I said, "What happened?" They said, "Well, I don't know. I went in to try to cheer him up, but after a couple of minutes, he started asking me about my life. And then, and then I opened it up. He and made he started...
0: everybody feel a better version of and himself. And he cheered them yeah, up. Yeah. So
3: I went to him. I said, "I don't get it." You know, you've hit the mother load of sympathy here. You're dying from ALS. You can say, let's not talk about your problems and you can be justified. Why don't you do it? And he looked at me as if I was an alien. And he said, why would I ever take from people like that? Taking just makes me feel like I'm dying. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. Mm. I never forgot that. It also rhymes, so it's easy (laughs) to remember.
0: It does help you remember Giving is what makes us feel like living. It's counterintuitive. It's all the messages and the marketing and the advertisements. You see thousands of ads every week convincing you if you buy this thing, if you get this thing, you get the new iPhone, good night. Watching the playoffs in baseball, the iPhone 15 was every third ad, and I really want an iPhone 15. I get it. It's working. But you have to fight this instinct inside of us to consume, to take, and this unreal otherworldly, idea that giving is actually what we're looking for. Giving is the life we wish we had. And we as Christians, we as Simple Church, we as the people in this room listening to this message, what if we started to be unreal in how we give? What would the world start to look like? Would the perception of Christians change? Would the next generation come up behind us instead of seeing us ask for jets and mansions see that we're putting shoes on kids' feet and sending gifts around the world and start to buy in a little more? Who are you giving to? What if your gift could change someone's life, the entire direction of somebody's life? We don't believe it. We're skeptical. Like, oh, they're probably just stealing the money. They're embezzling it. You can't trust anybody. I'm not going to give anything to that. People, I don't know, and they're going to do it, and they're going to grift off the top and going to go There's an organization we've worked with since Simple Church started. Actually, longer than that, my whole life, basically, Operation Christmas Child has done incredible work around the world. It's November. The holiday season's kicking off. It's hard to believe Christmas is almost here. And filling a Christmas Child box has become a tradition with my kids, with our family, that my parents started with me. And it makes a big difference. If you don't know about Operation Christmas Child, you're not familiar, watch this video. But if you are, check your heart a little bit yeah, I, don't, I just don't have the time for this. I'm busy, I'm, I got don't have money I can only do. Be reminded what one gift can do. Watch.
2: Three, two, one. When that shoe box is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Look at how they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. You can hear the laughter. You can hear the cheer, that excitement. It goes and
4: goes and goes. Right now we're in Ukraine, and today we've given out the 200 millionth shoebox to a little girl here. So it's a lot of fun. It's a privilege for us to be able to come and to help the people as much as we can. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love about His Son, Jesus Christ. There's so much joy that one gift box can give. They really experience the love of Jesus.
1: These shoe boxes go into 120 different countries where pastors and missionaries are going to use them to bring the gospel to kids. So you may think it's just a simple gift at Christmas time, but it's the gift of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ.
0: When that shoe box leaves that distribution center and it goes around the world, that's not just one person. That's the body of Christ joined together delivering the good
4: news of the gospel. They go by plane, they go by ship, they go by riverboat, they go by camels, they go by motorbikes. And these boxes go to some of the most remote areas of the world and every
0: box counts. Ah, we don't have to clap for him, but I know, what, I know what you're thinking. Ah. It's not a big deal. They don't need one more box. $200 what's one more going to make? What's the difference? I'm raising three kids. I know things are expensive. I know not everybody can. But a little bit of time, a little bit of money could make a big impact around the world. I think about Ukraine. You hear all this stuff in the news. You talk, I can't believe what's going on in Ukraine. You believe it? What if you send a shoebox to an orphan in Ukraine who's going through the worst, unreal, imaginable life but gets a gift at Christmas and hears about Jesus. You can make a shoebox. Most of us can. And this is also a cool thing. This might not be for everybody, but actually Christy Aguiar, our children's pastor, is going to lead a family mission trip to Juarez over spring break this year. We've gone in January in the past, but kids 10 and up, fifth graders, if you have kids, middle school, high school, I promise it will impact their life and change them when they go and see a different culture and appreciate how much we have and what we can do for other people in another country it's on the app if you're interested talk to christy sign up we'd love for people to go i've been on these trips over the years and you will not come back the same another mission trip got to go on rwanda we just had a team get back in october and we're going to tell you more about it this christmas there's more coming so if you're interested in rwanda and what's going on there definitely come back but i just want to show every as our sponsor child we got to meet me and Mallory in 2013 before we had kids of our own to walk where he walks, to see his village. And when we told him he was going to be sponsored, we got to meet him and go through, and we had to meet his mom, who was sick. And through the translators, when we sat down to pray with them, they offered us a gift. <laughs> they gave us this rabbit. I tried to explain that we couldn't take the rabbit. It would be hard flying back internationally. We appreciated it every day. But they gave from what they had, which wasn't a lot. And Evariste has now completed the program. He's driving a bus. He has a job. He had education, medicine, access for a little bit of money that we would have probably used on stuff we didn't need anyway. Rwanda, if you don't know, had a genocide in 1994. There's a movie you probably heard about, Hotel Rwanda. Incredible movie. Go watch it. If you don't know anything about Rwanda, it will change your whole perspective when we talk about these kids, these families that are growing up where 700,000 to a million people died in 100 days. And to scale, that's tens of millions of people in America gone, massacred. And now, 30 years later, they're still trying to figure out how to do this, how to live when there's hundreds, if not thousands of murders coming back into the general population. And it is unreal how some of them have been able to forgive. I found a video from Vice News. This is definitely not a Christian organization. But they are blown away by the story and had to come and talk to it. This reporter, I don't know anything about her, but I have to imagine sitting there knee to knee like we did when we went to Rwanda. It is unreal to hear their story. Watch.
5: We're walking through Guerro Reconciliation Village. It's one of eight of these type villages that exist across the country where survivors of the genocide and killers live side by side. It's hard to understand why any survivor of the genocide would want to live next to one of their killers in one of these villages. Part of it is believing in reconciliation and forgiveness. It's a religious community. But part of it is that they receive free housing and livestock. Maria was hiding in a bush with the youngest of her four children when the killing started
2: do you know who killed your family? do those people live around here
5: do you know who killed your
2: family? February. How did you kill Marie's husband and children? Enyana wajenzema, jini mpokuwa rikuli dufite nabo simu
5: I guess I think what most people can't understand is, how can you kill children?
2: It's
5: hard for me to believe that the two of you can sit next to each other
2: peacefully do you two
5: get together because you live in this village you're part of the program people like us come to visit or do you have a true relationship
0: Unreal forgiveness. Maybe puts in perspective what your mother in law did last Thanksgiving, you still haven't forgiven her about. I don't know if anybody in this room's family's been murdered, and you live next to your murderer. That'd be pretty amazing, but I'm guessing most of us don't. She said it's a religious community. It is a Christian-based reconciliation village that is trying to help this country heal and doing incredible things. So we should be unreal how we give and unreal how we forgive this holiday season. Why is it so hard? You heard the song at the beginning. is a great need to breathe song. It is human nature to not forgive, to hold on to the hurt, to the pain to use it as fuel why is this so difficult why is this so hard if we go to the next slide matthew five forty three. this is jesus again this is the message it's a paraphrase if you have trouble reading the bible you're like i don't even know if the bible really applies anymore it's old it doesn't really matter check out the message you can download the free bible version app it's easier to understand it's made in a common language This is pretty easy to understand. (laughs) I don't think you're going to like it. Jesus talking, Matthew 5. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the moves of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives us his best, the sun to warm, the rain to nourish, his best to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that, then he drops the hammer. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Ouch. Some of you've been a Christian's a long time. We still can struggle with this. But we're not of this world. We're unreal. We're kingdom subjects. We should live like it. Live out your God created identity live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. If we surveyed people in your life and asked them, what are the top three words to describe you? Is it going to be hypocrite, judgmental, angry? It's going to be gracious, forgiving, generous? If you really want to be rocked, try asking them over the next couple of weeks. I don't think most of us would like the answer. We're supposed to love our enemies. The expert in law asked Jesus, Who is your neighbor? And he explained, Your neighbor is the person who treats you with mercy. But who's your enemy? Who's the person in your life that's your enemy? It's that coworker. It's kids. Maybe it's your parents right now. Maybe you have a true enemy, someone that has hurt you and robbed you and has brought pain in your life, an absent father, a left mother. I absolutely believe there are people in this room who have every right to be angry. You have been hurt in unbelievable ways that most people don't even know. But when you forgive, you start to live. There's a book called The Shack. They made it into a movie guy whose daughter was murdered, the most horrific, worst-case scenarios, gets to be face-to-face with God. God shows up and has this conversation with him throughout the movie, throughout the book. I highly recommend it. And here's one clip of what we probably have felt like. And if God was here, you could talk to him. You might say something like this. Watch.
4: I want to hurt him. I want him to hurt, like he hurt me. I want you to hurt him. I know you do, but he too is my son, and I want to redeem him. Redeem him? He should burn in hell. So we're back to you as the judge. So you you just let him get away with it? Nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. What he did... was horrible. I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. And then what? Forgiveness doesn't establish your relationship. It's just about letting go of his throat. Mac, the pain inside is devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. You're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't.
0: It's tough not saying it's easy. I love this quote, a guy named Reinhold. You don't hear a lot of Reinholds anymore. Reinhold Niebuhr said this, love is an endless act of forgiveness. Forgiveness is me giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. I didn't know anything about this guy. I found this quote and actually looked him up to see like, who is this? What is this quote from? It's actually one of the founders of AA. Wrote the 12-step plan was a part of it. it, was a Christian person who was unreal in how many lives he's helped change by helping them work through forgiving yourself and forgiving others. You can. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you won't forgive today. Jesus went first. He forgave us. He died on a cross for you, for every person watching this video on the internet, for me. And because of that, we can forgive others. We don't deserve it, they don't deserve it. But Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, God showed his love to us. Christ died for us. We live in unreal times. The world is only getting more and more unreal. Your head might be spinning. You might be anxious and worried about the future. You don't know what's going on. You're worried about your kids, your grandkids. But if we, the people of God, who say we're following Jesus, walk out of these doors today and be unreal in how we give and how we choose to forgive, the world's going to be a better place. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the person in this room that came here today that you know what's in their heart. God, I don't, but I know that you love them, that you want them to let go of this thing that is eating them up inside. God, there's unbelievable hurt and tragedies. And if I sat and listened to each person's story, I have no doubt that there would be people that deserve pain, that deserve to be hurt. But you love them, God, just like you love us. And I pray for anybody in this room that they would take a step today to forgive someone they need to forgive, to heal the wound with a family member as the holidays are coming up, to make the first step, even if it's not fair, even if they don't deserve it. And that we as a group, we as people, we as the Simple Church would give when it's not convenient, when it's not easy. It would be unreal of how we do things without expecting anything back. And that would be our reputation. That would be this church's reputation. That would be my reputation, Father. That we can give and forgive and see how the world begins to be a better place because of you, Father, through that. We love you. Amen. Justin did a video before you leave last hour. All 500 Operation Christmas Child boxes got given away. given up for 930. But you're not off the hook because they got 500 more. So check this out. Justin's going to talk about it next Sunday and we'll be done. What is up? Thank you, Evan, for a great message and it's the last reminder because there are no services next Sunday here at Shreveport Convention Center, but there's a special message just for you. All you have to do is download the app, get your
1: kids up, watch the message together and get ready to meet me at Walmart or over in Shreveport, we're going to have a team over there too. What are we doing? We're packing Operation Christmas Child boxes. All the information is online. It's available on the app. But my main thing, it's Thanksgiving, baby. I'm dressed a little more festive. There's a coolness in the air, and it's time to do some good. Be thankful and give to those people that are in need around the world, and we have a chance to do it. So don't miss next Sunday. Even though we're not coming here, get up, turn on the service, and meet me
0: at one of the Walmarts, and we can do some good and have a lot of fun. Operation Christmas Child next Sunday. I want to see you out there. Thanks again, Evan. Thanks for being here. Until next time.